Okay, good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to our Thursday Career Development Day, and today is February the 11th, 2021. And this actually is one, just like the CMA, this one has been long awaited for, and we have a lot of folks on because today we're going to be going over uh, overcoming objections and also negotiations, and who better and we all agree with this, to be leading this uh, conversation today is our own CEO and broker, Steve DeBruller. So it is being recorded and we have some panelists on too. So I'm gonna let Steve kick it off and then you guys go from there. So good morning, guys. So I, I, I would like to do this in kind of three buckets. If you think of a fourth one, we'll do that. Um, but I want you to think along this. I'm going to take questions from the group, but I want you to think of objection handling in, in a couple buckets. One is trying to get the appointment, right? So I'm, I'm making calls or talking to people outside of this, and I'm trying to get an appointment to do something with them, right? Think about objections in that bucket. And then I want you to think about objections of winning the deal. So that is, I'm going on a listing appointment. How do I get them to sign with me? I've got a buyer that I'm talking to. I don't want them to sign a buyer agency. How do I get them to do that with me? And then lastly is contractually, right? So think about that, about the actual contract being home inspection or financing clauses, things like that, or at the settlement table and you get that last minute hiccup and you've got to figure out how to structure this thing to get it to close. So when you asked your question, kind of ask it in one of those buckets. And if there's something outside of that, that's fine. I'll help you with it. But let's try to keep it in those three lanes. Is that fair? All right. Just, do you guys want to kind of rattle off some stuff at me, or do you want me to go down the line first? Why don't you start? Right. I'm happy to kick in. Okay, so let me do this. Let me do the, the umbrella. No matter which lane you're in in this, uh, there's a couple really simple key facts you need to kind of always remember. Um, understand the person you're negotiating with in general. And when I mean that, what is their goal? So, and, and how do they negotiate in their personality? Um, my example is some people negotiate to win all the time. So it doesn't matter whether it's the right or it's the solution. They just want to win. They don't want to come in second. So they're afraid to submit when you're negotiating. And with people like that, you do things that are a little bit unique. You, you basically set them up to be the winner. You're just kind of, as they would say, driving from the back seat. So I'm going to set you on a path and give you roadblocks where I don't want you to go so that you make the decision that I think is a great idea and you win. Make, make sense? Yep. That, that's very important that, that you know who you're negotiating with and understand if that's their format or if it is truly a mutual agreement of trying to get there or if they just don't have an idea of how to get to the solution and they have good intent, right? That's, that's kind of your buckets and what you can play with there. Sorry, Mercedes, I'll let you pipe up there. Steve, I have something that it might actually be a different bucket. Um, I have, I've kind of stopped working with him. It was, it was just getting to be too much. He, um, and there's a cultural thing going on. Um, he said that his family taught him that um, 
they should always be able to undercut any deal by at least 20, 20%, um, that they don't ever pay full price for real estate. And I kept trying to tell him in this market, that's going to be really tough. And they're like, well, if it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't meant to be. So I was, you know, writing low ball offers for them and we were getting nowhere. And it, it wasn't, He's a really intelligent young man. Um, I, I was getting nowhere and he wasn't willing to budge on his strategy at all. And I just, I don't know. I just felt like this, it wasn't a good fit. So no, we, that, that's not an unusual one. And, and it is sometimes cultural. Um, if you've ever mm-hmm. been to a market outside the country, sometimes, um, and you're walking down the path, everything is negotiable. Um, and it's typically mm-hmm. not, if you take the first price, they think, you know, for lack of a better term, you're a silly American or whatever may be there. Right. Um, so that is normal. So let's talk about a couple ways you could fix that or how you could approach that or set the staging for that one. So that this person, this is kind of a little bit about that first Avenue I talked about, like they want to win. Right? Let me throw one more little wrench into it. He's a cash buyer and he okay. thinks that cash is King and that no matter what, you know, even if you come in 20% under that people are going to want cash over. So. so, so, so is he wrong in anything he's saying? Is it better to buy a property lower than what you're paying for it? Sure. What it's offered for? Is that good? Yes. Sure. sure. Is cash better than financing? Sure. In right? most cases. In most cases, yeah. So he's not wrong in what he's saying, and that's that's the first thing that you need to kind of acknowledge. Hey, I think you're right. Right. I, I agree with you. Um, I had a, we, I had a, an episode like that, and what I did, Jill, was I said. You are absolutely correct. All of that is true. And this was after writing five different offers um, and they would come up from Baltimore. Um, So they would find something. They clearly loved it. We would go out at like eight o'clock at night and show the property. And, you know, they knew everything. They've done all their research online. They've done the Zillow. They knew how much (laughs) paid because everything is online. And I would just go, yep, mm-hmm, okay. And after the fourth rejection, when they called me, I said, no, we're not going. And they're like, why? And I said, well, because you're telling me that you really love this property. I said, but, you know, these people also, you know, you don't know what their their economics are. You don't know how much they owe. I said, what you see online is not the reality unless you have gone to the courthouse and even then you don't know you don't know if they have a second mortgage you don't know any of these other other information um i said and you know much like any did you do cmas for each property i actually did that too to show i did did all that and i said so when you are serious i am more than happy to help you i said but you know you don't go to the dentist and lowball your dental work. I said, and in today's market, you cannot lowball. So if you really want this property, great. I'm more than happy to work with you, but you also have to trust that you have hired a professional and I probably know the market a little better than you mm-hmm. do at this point. And, um, you know, and we closed. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. So uh, that was a great example, Mercedes. Um, I think, Jill, yours is using the technique that I just talked about. They want to negotiate to win, not to come to a deal, right? So they want what they want because they feel like they're in power and they want to win. 
Right, and then they try to start taking off thousands of dollars for every little thing that's wrong with the property, too. And I tell them, you know, you're not always going to find properties that are in ideal condition. And what you used to think you could get in West Virginia, you can't anymore. People are moving out of the city, and they're really driving the prices up. So it's not the market you think it is. So sometimes with those personalities, selling them, which is what you're kind of doing. I gave you a CMA. I've told you this. This is what the market's doing. You're, You're selling them on why they have to pay more. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes that approach is counterproductive. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is creating a more of a situation for them to kind of flex up and go, no, I'm going to win. Right? Yeah. So this is a little bit of that driving for the back seat. One, hey, you know, I don't know if you want to do this or you're going to lose out on this one again. And I use words like lose, failure, those kind of words with that personality because. Mm-hmm. That is something they don't want to do. So I can encourage their behavior by making them want to feel like they're winning by, I got that house over those other five people. The fact that it's a young person who's consulting with the family and the mother and father involved, everybody's involved. (laughs) So so you have another level there, right? So you don't have all the decision makers in the room at the time. And you have, you know, expert advisors. I use that very loosely. Expert advisors somewhere else in the family that you now have to negotiate with, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that's hard. You know, obviously the best thing to do is to have the, the decision makers in the room, That that's the easiest way to do that. If you don't have the decision makers, then you have to make the person that you're talking to either through documents or education smart enough to deliver your message to those people. Right. Um, so my second version of what I was going to talk on that is, you need to not tell anybody anything, no matter what it is, and as simple as you may see it to be, without showing them something visual. Everybody's heard that concept of, you know, people are visual, people are audio, right? So simple things like, um, if you're telling the family about what's out there, then it's a list of, here's the last five houses that did. It's a visual. Me telling you is not credible, but if I show you, you understand. Oh, I even send them photo galleries of each property so they can compare condition and. Yeah. And I think that's fine. And, and I'll say this, not every buyer is ready, willing and able to buy now. Right. Yeah. So, and, and the word in what you missed there was willing. Yeah. He's ready and able. He's not willing. And that's okay. But know that, identify that and move them along. So if it's a foreclosure or whatever else. So that's a, that's a great one, guys. What else? Yeah, I think like you, know, you can't come across like you're trying to convince them to buy something. Steve's right. You just have to give them the information and just kind of sit back. You know, you've oh. done, you've given all that you can give. You've, you've visually, you know, shown the numbers, however they like it. I know one of the things I try to do is uh, when I first meet someone is, how do you like to communicate? Are you a graphs person? Are you a numbers person? You know, are you a picture person? Um, I try to figure out how they like to see things. And sometimes that cuts out a lot of pain. <laughs> um, well, remember what I said about the wording. I think Tracy's put right on, but make sure you're using wording like failure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with that type of thing when you're using those trigger words if you even have other people in the family 
they're going, remember, they're naturally wanting to win. That is their, their goal is to win. So if you set them up for places where they feel like they're failing, they will attempt to win. And they will tell the other people in the family, well, this is a good deal. If I don't do this, then this, 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 this. Or I'm not going to let this other person take it from me. Right? That's the mentality they get in as you start to do that. So you set them up to, you know, you can't say, I'm telling you, you're going to do this. But you can subtly, as you're talking through these conversations, drop those types of words in. And naturally, their behavior will take over and they will do what you want them to do. So like real, quick, real, psychology. Quick, real quick, what I, um, working with buyers I've had success with is um, in this situation, because I've had a couple people that have come across, like you said, it's all about winning type mindset. So I try to shift their target of who they're winning against. Right. And I try to use language like we don't want these other buyers to beat us. Right. Uh-huh. In other words, they're not competing against the seller. They're not beating the seller and the seller's price. They're competing in against other buyers. Absolutely. Constantly reminding them we don't want to lose out to these other buyers out there. Uh, I, I know you're a cash buyer. I know you'd be a better fit for this house. I guess you would lose if they take it from you. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, like, and I'm being really blunt in my words, but depending on the personality, I may be very blunt. I use the one sometimes on financed deals, I'll break it down into the dollars per thousand. They're, you know, eight grand apart. And I'm like, you you guys really going to lose this property over 32 bucks a month? Yeah. I used to call that reduce it to the ridiculous, right? (laughs) <laughs> so say so like hey look is it worth a cup of coffee every three or four days to lose the house or not that's all i need to know i just need to know what your real motivation to buy is uh, i'll buy you coffee for the first month can we get this done you know i'll pay your first 32 dollars. ha 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 right you see how i did that like how silly are you losing it over eight thousand bucks that's how i approach that sometimes you also have to um let them feel like you're not desperate to get this one to closing kind of like, mm-hmm. all right, that's fine. Let me know when you're serious and just walk away. So um, that's a brilliant thing. Michelle. And, and, you know, and it, usually it's like, look, because, you know, I'll have my clients text me at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And then they're like, well, why are you? And usually they their question is, why are you responding? I'm like, well, why did you text me? Right. It, it, and so they know that you're a hard worker. Like all the people I deal with are like, Yes, you know, I'm always available. You know, I'm a hard worker, but I'm also not going to waste my time. And so, um, you know, I've had a couple of people like that where it's like, great, I'd love to work with you when you're really serious. But as you well know, because I've responded to you at one o'clock in the morning, I'm a very busy person and I just I just can't do this. I cannot. I personally cannot sit here and waste your time and waste my time. So, you know, when you're serious, great. Call me back. Take, takeaway sale is what that is, right? That that's a takeaway sale. That's a right. yeah. that's your kids when they won't eat something. So, well, if you're not going to eat it, I'm going to, right? Right. And usually, you know, they'll they're like, oh no, no, we're serious, we're serious. And and then you can tie it down, right? You can say, no, no I'm serious. So what does that mean? I'm telling you, if I'm taking you back out, we're going to look at five houses. You're going to narrow it down to the one you want. I'm going to write an offer. Right. 
if that's within what you want to do, that's great. If not, look, I'm probably not the agent for you. You know, I have very important clients that I do represent and I promised I would protect them and I'm not willing to risk their time over yours. Wendy didn't like that one. Is that too strong? And, and I am, and I'm saying this, you've got to put this in your words and I'm going to tell you that any of you that see me do this in real life, I will typically mimic who I'm with. So if I am dealing with someone that's a stronger personality, I, well, I may take a subordinate role occasionally on that, depending on what works for me. But, uh, you know, typically I will mimic who I'm dealing with. So don't let my, sh- I'm, I'm being sharp to give the shock factor to you guys. And that mm-hmm. is why I'm being sharp. It works for you. What's that? I said that works for you. But why does it work for me? I think it's your confidence for one thing. That is one of them. So very seldom will you see me walk. Well, I don't think you will in anything, in any negotiation, you're going to see me in a, in a room that they've got problems. Even if I'm compassionate, I will not be lack of confidence. And I only do that to control the situation. And I might not know. I might not know the answer. I might come in and act confident with totally blinds or something like, look, we're going to fix this. In the back of my mind, I'm going, I don't know what the hell we're going to do, right? <laughs> this thing is a total train wreck. But on the <laughs> outside, it, my analogy, I show, I tell this to uh, tell us to Holly all the time. It's a duck on the water analogy, right? On top of the water, it's as smooth as silk. Underneath, they're paddling for all they got worth, right? We're going to figure it out. Everybody's laughing at my analogies. That's not good. Well, I think there are, there, there are still cultures, Steve. There are still cultures that really don't like to work with women. They, so that's, they, a, that's a tough one, right? So I run into that sometimes with you guys. Um, I personally have a problem with that. So it makes it very difficult for me to help in that situation because I'm opinionated. So I have to remove the opinion of, I think you're not a good person because you don't respect people for people. Um, I, I have a real hard time with that one. So I do do that. Uh, we've ran into that June and other things from a cultural situation. You, you have one that was a, a situation with someone from a different religious background that was, that was challenging. And, you know, it, it's, it's listen, compassion, build rapport. Right. And then find the middle ground. Like, you know, it's it's okay. You hear me say this. Other people don't have to be bad for us to be good, right? It's okay that you're different. That's totally okay with me. That doesn't change your ability. If anything, that empowers me to do a better job and empowers us to get a better solution because we have a very differing opinion of how we get there. And so if you run into that, first of all, you don't have to work with everybody. And, and you should be able to walk away from anybody you want to at any time. Never think that there's somebody that you just absolutely have to help. Second have of all. Have you ever had to walk away, Steve? I have. Yeah. I've chosen to walk away multiple times. And it, and frankly, it's not that I couldn't have helped them. It's, I just didn't want to deal with them. Like you literally it's, it's rate of return, right? You're a way more effort to put into than I'm willing to do for what I get returned. I mean, it's, it's just horrible. I agree. Um, can I say something? Yes. Um, I had a lot of those buyers, June, in the or buyers, agents in the past that actually treated me that way. It was more cultural, um, but I did get a lot with the construction uh, team as well. 
but I found that as long as I stood my ground, I proved that I knew what I was talking about, I did not back down, then they respected me. And those were some of the people that actually gave me the most business. And, and sometimes I had to kind of buck up to them and say, hey, look, that's not how it's going to work. In fact, I had one gentleman say, I want to talk to your boss. So I literally spun around in my chair and said, you're talking to her. You know, and I just stood my ground and didn't let them go above my head. And that works a lot. Um, not always. But if you just stand your ground, you're like, look, I know what I'm talking about. This is how it's going to work. You're not going to bully me. And they, they actually tend to respect you and are like, okay, okay, I'm not going to mess with this one. So there's agents like that in our industry, right? Mm -hmm. That want to kind of be the strong arm, right? And and sometimes they're just doing that to see if you'll play along, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that as a follower. I mean, will you challenge them? And and frankly, they like sparring. Mm -hmm. and, and it's okay. You know, and, and, and those are the ones that you can kind of pick at. You can say, you know, look, are you having a bad day today or we're going to get the deal done? You know, whatever your verbiage is you want to play with on that. But in essence, it's that way. And, and it's okay to do that when you have the rapport to do so. I think, too, when we're talking about cultural differences or, you know, religious belief differences, I think the other people also want feel like we're not respecting their differences. And so we need to come across as being empathetic and respectful of their differences. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, I was working with a client right around Christmas time. And I, you know, I just assume everybody celebrates Christmas. Well, whether it's religious or commercial, I just assume everybody, you know, Santa Claus comes to everybody's house. Um, and so their kids were in the car and I'm like, oh, so what's Santa bringing to you? And they're like, we don't celebrate Christmas. I'm like, oh, sorry, you know, didn't mean, you know, anything by it. So, but then I started asking, do you celebrate anything? Not, and you know, just like from a commercial perspective, is there anything around the holidays that you celebrate? Well, it so happens that they were Jewish. So, well, so the good way to approach that is not only pull empathetic, but pull curiosity out, right? So right. that's really interesting. I I only know a few people that are Jewish or whatever, you know, pick, right. up, pick a flavor, whatever it is, and so say, then, tell me more I, about it. So then what I did is during, I took him out for a showing, and it was right in the middle of Hanukkah. And, you know, so I know that they all get like seven mm -hmm. gifts mm -hmm. at different times. So I, I had, I brought like, little lollipops and tied it in a bow and gave it to each one of their kids. Oh, and I'm so, like, oh, happy Hanukkah. This is your first, you know, a gift of Hanukkah. And the mother just thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, you know, just respecting the fact that respecting other people's differences, I think kind of puts them at ease. And it's okay not to understand their differences. But I, you know, if we start to squinch up our faces because somebody is, you know, Muslim or Buddhist or, or anything else, then they get defensive and we feel threatened. And I think that's, I think, I think we also have to accept the fact that we are culturally different from other people as well. Well, think about this, forget the religion for a minute, but let's just take, you know, 50% of the U S population has a different opinion of who should be in the white house. I mean, in essence, you know, love it or hate it. You know, if you walk into a room, likely about half the people don't agree with you one side or the other right or even if you're in the middle there's kind of some variances of that so again that empathetic and then explain to me why 
whether you agree or don't disagree, that ability for them to tell their story and you listening breaks down all those barriers. It starts to them saying, well, they're willing to listen to me. They, they want to know more about my situation or about my opinions. And you can love them, hate them or whatever, but that part really does help take down the walls a lot. So all right, one last thing on this stuff. I want you to remember that, first of all, you don't, you don't have to work with everybody. We said that. Don't forget. Second of all, if you're working with someone and you feel in any way uncomfortable or are they speaking you, to you in some way incorrectly or some way that you don't like, you need to pick up the phone and call me and I will address it. Uh, there's a couple on this call that I've had to do that with for people. I think, Wendy, I had one with you uh, where clients were just not being very nice to Wendy and I won't tolerate that. There's, there is a zero tolerance for me on that. Um, and I will address it, male or female, doesn't matter. So don't forget that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I will in no way go and make it bad on you when I do it, uh, but I also will not tolerate that treatment of my people. And I don't know, Wendy, or I think, Tim, you hit one too. Anybody, if you all want to comment on that, whatever, let me know. But I don't, I try very hard to make sure the agent's very well represented and respected in that situation. But it's not okay for you guys to be boundary. Like I had it with Tracy, I think, too, on one. That's, you know, there's just, that's just not okay. And you don't have to put up with that. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I did not like being treated as a sex object, so I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, this group. I just really belly laughed at that one. <laughs> um, anything else on getting appointments? Let's talk about that. So we talked about don't, don't uh, make sure you know who you're negotiating with. Make sure you understand what their position is. Are they trying to win? Or are they trying to get to the middle? Where is it at? Don't ever tell them anything that you don't want. Can't show them. That you can't show them. Anything you tell them you don't show them is not credible. Mm-hmm. And that is as elementary as if there's three bedrooms in the house and you want to show them how, how uh, their family can take this many people in one of the bedrooms, take a piece of paper, draw three rooms, Draw two beds in one, one in another, one in another. This is what it looks like. One of the parties that you're probably talking to is visual. So never tell them anything you don't show them. Um, All right, what else on appointments? You guys want to talk about appointments, or do you want to talk about um, getting getting the calls to get into the appointments? Where are you at on? I've got one on appointments and I've actually had this happen twice in the last week and it's been we already hired the best agent in the area he didn't do what we wanted them to do and now we're just going to use an attorney man that's awesome I guess you picked the wrong one they could have been the best they didn't sell yours did they that didn't didn't work (laughs) that didn't work if you didn't get a laugh out of them on that, then you got to like retreat really quickly, right? Yeah, if you get a laugh out of that, you win. So if you don't get a laugh out of them, so the approach is this really simple. And you guys hear me say these things all different ways, but it's still the same. You ask these questions, ready? Who, what, when, where, how, and why? If you write those six words down, and no matter where you're at, or if you forget what to say, or you don't know what to do next, and you start the question with one of those words, 
fill in the blank on the rest of it, you'll get there. Oh, why did you pick that person? What made you think they were the best in the market? What was your intentions if you sold? Why do you think they didn't do a good job? Did they show you any properties? Were they able to bring you an offer? How many open houses did they have? You see how I'm doing that over and over and over, around, around, around? So what you're doing is deflecting and re- refocusing them down to what was their pieces of what's going on. So one of the things we talked about the other day with, uh, I don't know what group I had on, but people do not move. People do not desire to sell their house. People do not desire to move. People have a goal, and that is a component of the goal. So they want to be next to their spouse or their kid's college or move in with their mother or whatever it is, and that is their goal. Selling the house, getting financing, moving, all those pain points are not really what they want. They just want to go move in with their spouse or whatever that's going to be. So think about it in those roles and stop thinking about it as so structured. It's a it's a life it's a life event to them. So I think Susan's got her hand up. Okay, go Susan. Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm not fit for human consumption this morning, so you don't get to see me. <laughs> hey, um, I have a question about what you're saying to folks or what you would say to folks who are saying, yeah, we can sell now, but where are we going to go? Yeah. So that's a hard one these days, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, again, I don't mean to keep tying it to the emotional part, but figure out what their situation is. Tell me, yeah, you want to sell the house, but what's the why, Right. You know, I want to get moved closer to my kids. I want to whatever it is. Rekindle that scenario because that's what the passion is making to make the decision. You follow me? And then you talk about, go ahead. No, I was, I was saying yes. I gotcha. And then you talk about, let's talk about what our options could be, right? And, and everybody knows the options. Even they do. You're just going to put them back in their head so they don't seem like they're so foreign or so scary. You know, your options are going to be is you choose not to sell and you never get to fulfill your dream to go move closer to your kids. That might not be what you want to do, but seems like you wanted to move, right? We go out and sell your home and it sells faster than we can find you something else. And you end up renting, right? Or we find you another house and there's a delay in closing and you rent for a period of time. Or we delay the closing on this house until you can close on your second house and make it so you can move in. All those seem like solutions, right, Mr. Seller? Right. Everybody's shaking their head, by the way, on here. Right. So, and you go of those, which would be the best for you and which one are they going to say? Depends on what their situation is to sell. They're going to sell and try to coordinate the closing with a new one. Right. That's, that's ultimately what they really want to do. Yeah, And you say, Mr. Seller, I think that is your best situation. So let's try to plan for that, but let's prepare for, if it doesn't sell, let's have a backup plan for that. So we can still get your house in the market and sold. And we don't put your family at risk, not having a place to be. Would that be okay with you? All right. Is that good dialogue? You like that or different way to approach it? Yeah, that works. That works. It's actually, I've, 
said everything, but the very last part about um, let's come up with a plan, an alternative plan. I've always said, you know, here, let's, let's come up with a plan. This is what happens. But I haven't said, let's do an alternative plan for if that doesn't work out. Well, and because I think that's the their problem. fear, right? Their fear is what right. if it doesn't work? That's, that's right. what they're thinking right. in their head. What if it doesn't work? Then where am I at? I put my family out of a house. I'm a horrible man. I'm a horrible woman, whatever. Shame on me for putting them in that situation. Yeah, so, no, yeah. I agree. It's brilliant. It's perfect. It's so simple and it's brilliant. Thank you. Cool. Um, Actually, Steve, just a question on that. Um, I'm in a situation like that now where the, the seller is very concerned about um, not finding her next place. She has very particular ideas about what she wants in her next home. Um, and she's just thinking she doesn't want to be out of a home or she doesn't want to move into an apartment or a temporary place uh, for any length of time. She's concerned about, you know, being homeless and, and because of COVID and all of these other things. And so her directive to me is find me my next home and I'll list. And that's, that's her bottom line. So... so Okay, so, and they don't want, they basically, they don't want an intern place, is what you're saying. They want to sell this house and move to the next one. Right. Now, I want you to give me every possible scenario you could think about of how that could take place without having an intern situation. And anybody on the call can help her on this in case she doesn't get them all. Rent back. What's that? Bridge loan. She can do a bridge loan. What's what's another one? I think someone just said rent back. So you can do a pre or post occupancy. What else? Contingent of finding finding house of choice. Contingency. Mm-hmm. What else? TikTok. There's another one out there. The obvious one you always do. What is it? You do it in every transaction to avoid doing pre or post occupancies. Extension. Delay closing. You you'd coordinate closings, right? Yep. Right. Can you think of any others? I think that's the big ones. What about if they could afford both houses? Right? Might not be the case, but what about? So there's another scenario on that, and I saw you shaking your head no, Jeannie, but I want you to be much broader in your thoughts. So would the previous owner owner finance for them until they sold it? Right. If they've already moved to Florida, is it plausible to think in this market, that's a reality that could happen. I'm going to finance it for you for up to six months. Gives you time to sell your house. If not, you can refinance me and buy me out, but I'll, I'll do that. You know, that way we've transferred a title. You moved in and you can get your house ready for sale. So, be very broad when you have these conversations. And it's going to be the same approach we use with Susan. Well, so let's talk about what our options are. And you go through all those options. The key to that is put the options in an order and an attraction of which one you want them to pick. Okay. Right? So and then, go ahead. And they likely won't have a mortgage payment on their new home for two months. So that might buy them some time to get their previous home sold. So they're not paying double mortgage. Right. And, and, you know, you can get, there's creativities in this. Don't, don't get so in the bucket, right? So if you get real complex on these, bring them to me or one of the managers or whatever. But 
you know, you can have a situation where I'm going to give you a credit of X number of dollars to pay your previous house payment for so many months. So it gives you six more months to pay on your house payment, right? Okay. Uh, there's ways to do these kind of things. So, but the key is lay those out, talk about each one, amplify the one or two you want them to pick. But that way you're the, you're the advisor, right? This is what you're doing. I'm telling you what your options are. This one's not super attractive, but it's an option, right? Right. You know, um, this is probably your better ones. Which of those would you like? Let's pick what we want we want, and let's figure out what our backup would be in case that didn't work. That approach almost always works because they think like everybody on this call immediately did. Uh, well, how are you going to do that? And you guys do this for a living, right? So if you've never done this very often, all these other options you guys put together is really foreign to them. But at least they feel like there's other ways to do it. So the so the scarce uh, the scared of me not being a homeless, right? That's the word you used. Right. Goes away. You don't have to be homeless. We can do it other ways. It's just harder, right? I mean, you can. You can go to California, you can take the airplane, the train, the car, you can walk, you know, but you can get there. Which way do you want to go? Sorry, I got long-winded on that one. Any more questions around that one? All right. Um, Getting, I see one on here from Stacy. How about uh, getting your buyer's offer accepted when there's so many offers? So, this is probably a great one for Tracy and all these guys out here. What are you doing? And I'll step in if you need me on this one. Uh, Mercedes, Tracy, Tim, all that. What are you guys doing to get your offers accepted? Go ahead, Nettie. Um, an escalation clause. An escalation mm-hmm. clause, okay. Um, waiving just home inspections strictly for information. So, so streamlining your contracts so they're cleaner? What else? I had a buyer that just, um, they went over asking, they did a, um, an escalation clause. They waived all of the contingencies and they even, we even wrote, um, an addendum that included, um, up to $5,000 towards, um, the appraisal if for some reason the house didn't appraise. And we had four other people that came in higher than us. One was 11,000, um, over asking and we still um, beat everybody out. Wow. Excellent. Cause it's a well thought out, well structured, right? Think, think about your, what, what problem are they trying to solve? So when you're talking to the co-agent, right? What is their problems? What is it? You know, look, they've got to be in Florida by this date. Their job starts this day. Um, they're getting a divorce. You know, they, they don't want to live together anymore. What is their problem? What can you put in place to help solve that problem? And mon- many times it's not monetary. It's it's time sometimes, right? Or something to deal with those kind of factors. How many of you are presenting your own contracts? I've recently done that. Uh, just I because I had never done it and to see how I would do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had a... You say that. Well, I mean, you know, I just, it was just something I hadn't, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you, but um, I, I was just like, I want to try this and, you know, see how I do with it because I've been trying to get better with my verbiage and, um, you know, I had a, 
a buyer or a listing agent that was, you know, open to do that didn't make it difficult. Um, so they can't restrict you from doing that, right? Right. Right. So that absolutely. They, yep. They cannot say you can't. Right. But I've had other, uh, like when I mentioned it, you know, before they would get, they, they didn't understand that that could happen. So they made it difficult where this one, um, you know, but, but it worked out. The seller understood where I was coming from. We, we didn't get the deal um, only because my people had a home to sell. Um, it was under contract and everything, but they had, uh, you know, they had other offers that were better, better in financing and things like that. So I want to throw an idea out to you on yours, Tracy, and then we'll talk about the presenting in person because I think that's important. Okay. Is there anything you could have done for your offer because your client had a home to sell that would have made it more attractive for your offer than the others and still keep the home sale contingency in place? I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, they were, the loan they had was, you know, a USDA. They wouldn't come off of, um, you know, not wanting a home inspection. They had to have a certain amount of closing costs. There was everything in there that, okay. you know, they had to have. So some, what what is the reason the seller will not accept a home inspection, a home sale contingency compared to one that's not? What's the only reason? If it's not under contract, but, typically. But, but but what is that? What is that kind? Of, what's the? It's it's risk, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the risk is you might not sell, which will cause me a problem. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a house to sell, then my risk is lower, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the general concept of why they're negotiating that way. Does that kind of make sense to everybody? So what could you do to minimize that risk for the sell- for the people that you're trying to buy the hospital or the sellers? You could show them how other houses around that one are selling um, and how quickly. And you could maybe give them um, either pictures or a description of the condition of the home to let them know that it's really um, um, likely to sell quickly. I don't know. You'd have to show evidence that it's likely to sell quickly. Jill, I think you're right. I think it's important. I think it's important that the clients understand what a normal process would be to sell the house you're talking about, whether it, it normally takes 45 days, it normally sells at this percentage of list value, you know, it takes this many days to close. I think that that data, that information is very good. Is there anything else you could do? I'm leaving you because there is something. So somebody come up with the answer here. Bridge line. Okay, there you go. You got the bridge loan again, right? What else? Pay mortgage. What was it, Sheila? Pay a mortgage. So what if we took that concept and you package it good? Mr. Seller, I understand there's concern, especially when you're presenting as yourself, right? So this gets really good and you can be passionate about how you say it. Mr. Seller, look, I understand you know the market's super hot right now. Look how many offers you've got on the property. That's why we're talking about this. I mean, let's face it. So, look, if I could provide you some way to reduce the risk of you being concerned about my client selling their house, because I assume their house is going to have the same situation as yours. They're going to have multiple offers. They're going to get to pick which one they want, just like you're having today, right? Not making it associable to them so they can feel it and understand it. I said, what if for every 30 days, 
I paid you a non-refundable deposit directly to you, Mr. Seller of X, that would overcome your house payment. One of two things would happen, right? Either I would perform and we'd go to closing, or if I didn't perform, I paid your house payment for two or three months to take up the risk. If the buyer can afford to do that. If, if the buyer, yeah, it's true. If the buyer can afford, but that's another way to structure it. And, and it's a lot in the dialogue of how I did it. I didn't say I'm going to give you a non-refundable deposit. I said, what if I, to mimic your risk, right, did these things for you? And I do it every month up to three months to make sure that would work or whatever. Because remember, it's just a non-refundable escrow deposit, right? If they go to closing, they're putting the money down for a down payment anyway, aren't they? Right. So it's not like the money's going away. It only goes away if they don't close. No, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's awesome. Okay. I'll definitely that, that, that deposit's not going to pay their mortgage if they have to move in the meantime, right? Because it's going towards... No, it, it, the deposit goes to the owner they're purchasing from to either make their house payment or help them move or do whatever they want to because the money's non-refundable. But it is credited towards the sale price. But okay. it's credited towards the sale if they when they go to closing. So you're just buying time, Right. Literally, that's what you're doing. You're paying dollars. And you have to be time. pretty certain that you're going to be your mortgage is you're going to your loan is going to be approved. And oh yeah, you you better be a darn good agent. You're risking these people's money, and you better make sure they can be approved. But in in reality, does any of you think that if you have a house priced correctly on the market in today's market, that it's not going to sell? So. The reality is you just have to negotiate the terms and mitigate the risk to the seller. Now, here's another issue that I'm running into, which is um, because the market is so crazy, people think that they can put their house on the market for a ridiculous amount of money and then it just sits there. And, um, you know, especially like even here in Shepherdstown, and I just went on a um, listing appointment last week and you know i mean it's a great little house it's over two acres but it is dated it has like blue bathrooms you know like the 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 basins of it needs work and you know so let me let me me, now i'll come to that one because i've got a really good solution for you on that one whether you're the selling agent or the listing agent but uh i know nettie raised her hand right before you jumped on so let me grab her before i forget where she was going to go with it okay so, Steve, with that non-refundable deposit, they you're saying that they can use, the seller can use that towards a mortgage payment, but the leftover funds will go towards their EMD at closing. The total amount will affect will effectively be their EMD. Whatever they've paid, for, if they paid three months at $1,000, it'd be $3,000. The key is it's non it's non refundable to the seller, so the seller is just getting paid up front. And if the deal falls apart, the buyer loses out that money. But hopefully, right. hopefully they've hired a great agent and you guys to make that not happen. Let me make what sure about- I understand this. So the de- the non refundable deposit is is there EMD? Or is not their EMD? So, or let me not use the word deposit. They're yeah. gonna they're gonna use, they're gonna place an EMD of which each month after the initial EMD will be non refundable. 
after the initial EMD, any other money they put towards the EMD will be a non-refundable. What type of verbiage would I use in a contract for that? How would I, how would I write that up in the contract? So it's pretty simple. You'd have the normal EMD, which you'd have in the regular form part, and then you write <clears throat> purchaser um, to pay up to three months. Pick a pick a timeline, right? On, on this date, this date, and this date of $1,000 non-refundable to the seller. That's it. We, and and I'm, I know this is different for residential, but if you think about commercial deals, we do this a lot. Mm-hmm. If I'm working on a residential land, I have to get, you know, the EPA involved. I've got to get building permits involved. So as we hit milestones, we increase the deposits because it's such a long term sometimes, right? It's like a year sometimes on these things. So as we get a milestone, we make another deposit that's non-refundable. So just a thought. And I'm sorry, Mercedes, I want to go back to her because I promised to, to do that. So That's fine. Yeah, so it's like, you know, and then, of course, the first thing they ask is, well, how much do you think it's this property you're going to list the property from? And, you know, I never like to tell them what I'm going to list it from until we actually sign on the contract. <laughs> um, but, you know, so you give them a range of kind of like, well, if this, if you do these little things, or if you do this, it could be this, it could be this, blah, blah, blah. And so we talked about a list of projects for them to get done so we could get the top dollar. And, you know, I even talked to them about getting the home inspection so there wasn't any surprises before listing and everything else. And, um, you know, they're like, well, we've already talked to other agents and they feel that, you know, because the market is so low right now that, you know, I can get $50,000 more than what you're in. And I'm just like, okay, it's going to sit there for like, you know, six to eight months at that price when there's literally nothing on the market. So there's any property, doesn't matter its condition or its value or whatever else, these three items make it sell. Price, time, and terms. You give me a combination of two of those three at any time, I'll sell the property. I can get you more money. It takes more what? Time. Time, right? Or I can get you more money. You own or finance it at 1%. Mm-hmm. Right? Price, time, or terms. I mean, I'm, I'm playing with those numbers, but that's really, I'm being a little dramatic in how I do it. But that's, in essence, what it amounts to. Those combination of things make it what the value if they want to overprice it in today's market, to be honest, I'm more liberal than I would be in a normal market. I'd let them overprice it. And I probably would say, I'm going to let you overprice Wendy and I have had this conversation on a couple properties, actually. And Wendy kind of stomps her feet and mad at me about, I don't think we should do that. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. And and it's been, luckily, it's played out very well for Wendy on these. Um, so go ahead and price it. Set the determination. Remember, it probably has to appraise unless they pay cash. And then give them the, you know, give them the dose of reality. If it doesn't, this is where we're at. But the beauty of that, Mr. Seller, is we have absolutely milked the market for every penny we could possibly get that way. We have went as high as the market could ever take it. So be prepared. That could happen. The other thing that could happen is we're going to list it for six months. I'm willing to make that commitment to you to, to test the market. And what we'll do is we're going to predetermine the prices for the next 90 days. So we're going to list it for $100,000 day one. And on day 30, I'm going to drop it to 95. Day 60, I'm going to drop it to 90. 
and day 90, I'm going to drop it to 85, which is where I told you it should sell anyway. But Mr. Seller, I promise you, if it sells above that, you and I are both going to be happy. I get paid on commission. So I'm willing to take a risk on you if you're willing to take a risk on me. And that's how I would kind of approach that. As long as you give them the truth, right? There's In this market, you can be way more liberal than normal. You know, if, if the market's going down, you're chasing the you're chasing the line down. If the market's going up, you're chasing it up. You know, you just don't know. But I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm not picking at Wendy on this, but we had a couple that were like, "There's no way, there's no way." And I think she, both of those, they actually ended up appraising and and working for her. And they were they were even in my mind when I was running the numbers, I'm like, we're flirting with I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We were, but one thing you have to take into consideration when you're trying to price a house is to look at the solds through the MLS that did not go directly through a realtor. So in other words, look for other solds too, because sometimes they're hidden. Well, everybody takes the evaluation like an appraisal, um, but there is another uh, model of pricing property. And if you were on Melinda's call, it's called the absorption rate. And that drives price a little bit differently. And I will tell you that in this market, that's a very interesting tactic to use, especially if every other client's going in there. If every other realtor is going to your client going, here's my three comps. This is what it is. This is the three listed and these are the three sold. And here's my pretty sheets. And every other agent's done that. And you call to them and talk about absorption rate. You're going to be like, you know, the king out there on what's going on if you use that tactic because you're smarter than what they're doing. And you really are. I'm not saying that like pompous, like you are telling them a different way to do something that makes sense to them. You're using basic supply and demand, which they understand. So if you, if you don't know about absorption rate, you pricing, you should look at that. I know Melinda did a great thing on it. I'm sure Steven's got it recorded here. Um, but that's one you should check out. All right, guys, I don't want to keep running long on this thing. I feel like I'm getting long winded. Any other crazy ones? I have a question about um, the one about paying the mortgage. Yep. Is there um, any kind of financial liability or whatever on the brokerage if we wrote in instead of the agent paying or the buyer paying the mortgage rather that they would pay it and then be reimbursed at closing? Okay, let Ask that again so I understand, because you lost me okay. about play pay to closing. Okay, so let's say that you, you're presenting the offer to the seller, right? You're the buyer's agent. You're presenting your offer, and you say you're the scenario that you presented. I'll pay your mortgage if we get delayed, right? So what if you present it because the buyer doesn't really have that money to put out? If you present it as we'll pay your mortgage until it closes, and then we get reimbursed at close, the buyer gets reimbursed at closing as a credit on the settlement sheet. Is Reimbursed from who? From the seller for having paid the mortgage. So if the buyer does doesn't have the money, how are they getting reimbursed? I'm confused. No, no, no. If the buyer is paying, they don't have the money to put out for forever. Like they could, they could pay the mortgage until it closes, but they don't really have that kind of cash flow. And so they would need it back at closing to help pay closing costs, those kinds of things. Uh, okay. So yeah, it's, we're, we're talking about the same thing. So you don't actually have to ask for it back. So let me, let me clarify how I present. I presented it one way and told you to write it a different way. Okay. 
Okay. So let me get the legal part of this down and then we'll talk about the presentation part. The legal okay. part is you're going to basically write a progressive EMD that is partially non-refundable. So you're going to say, I'm going to pay another $1,000 over the next three months per month at a total of $3,000, which will be non-refundable. That's legally how you're going to do it. But when I'm presenting it, I'm tying that EMD to risk of what the seller is concerned about, their house payment, right? Or moving expenses or pick something, right? It doesn't matter. Mr. Seller, if I could get you an extra XYZ to help with moving expenses, to do this, and I took the risk away about my client's house not selling, would that help you? So don't get confused in me saying paying the house payment because I use that as the analogy. But it can be, the seller, it's non-refundable. So the seller's getting the money. He can go to Cabo if he wants to. I don't care what he does with it. It's non-refundable. Can I play devil's advocate just one more time? Yep. Um, I did USDA on my house and they watch everything in your account. They want to know what every bit of cash flow in and out is, is for. And if you really tight you're not going to be able to do that it doesn't matter in this situation it works because it's a loan so you're just increasing your earnest money deposit so they can track where it came from and where it went to so you can document it's all documented as an addendum yeah okay it's just like putting more money in the escrow that's all you're doing it's just a portion of portion of it's going to be non-refundable i'm sorry if i made it confusing i did it very salesmanship when i told it so i should have talked about the legal side and then the sales side and you're not talking about going above and beyond the price of the property that's agreed upon. You're talking about moving the money around in the transaction that the earnest money is increasing, but the selling price is staying the same, right? Yeah. So you could do it either way. But in my example, I did not raise the price. So as opposed to ex- using an escalation clause, you could do it in that scenario too. For every month my people don't do it, you're going to get $1,000 more for the house. You, you could do that scenario if you wanted to. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. How come so, you never shared this with me before? <laughs> well, you didn't ask. I mean, there's there's a thousand ways, guys. There's there's you know we probably can come up with twenty or thirty more ways to do stuff when negotiating offers. I, I, I'm trying not to run over, and I apologize, but I do want to say something about Tracy stuff. Presenting your own offer in person is probably the single most powerful thing you can do, hands down. Period. And I mean this because people don't sell houses; people sell stuff to people, right? So there's a rapport scenario there that happens when you're telling your story. Let me, you know, you talk about writing letters. Let me tell you about my client and their one husband and wife and got two kids. They want to buy your house. And they thought the backyard was nice and all this kind of stuff, right? That's what you write in your little letters. But if I can tell that story and have dialogue, think how much more powerful that is. So if I'm presenting the offers that, you know, I really appreciate you taking time. And, and I wanted to present the offer myself because my clients loved your house. And they told me that they really wanted to make sure this is. And I said, you know what? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll personally present it. You know, Mary, your agent is great and she's here to protect you. Um, But I wanted to present it because I know my clients better and I know their situation. And I wanted a real understanding to make sure we could do whatever we could to get my clients to the house and make sure you guys come out like you want to on this and everybody wins. Would that be good? And just that opening dialogue takes all the barriers down. Everybody starts to have a conversation. 
So if you can do a Zoom call with them or whatever it is to present, that goes miles. You know, and, and if you really want to be a really tearjerker, I mean, you know, picture the family, whatever you want to. Just be careful about that in fair housing stuff and all that kind of crap. You don't want to get too crazy, but, you know, whatever makes common sense there, right? Use your best logic. But presenting in person, hands down, is probably the single best thing you can do in a multiple officer and getting your officer accepted. Because you hear what the seller's saying and you hear what their concerns are and then you can start calculating can I do something in structuring this deal to solve their problem as opposed to agents just looking at five pieces of paper and trying to decide on paper what makes sense. Institutions do that like banks, right? And corporations, but people don't make decisions like that. Sorry. All right, Sheila, I'm running over, I guess, on you guys. I apologize. Can I I bring something up that happened to me a short time ago? Um, I wrote, no, um, I had a listing and I got several offers and my seller, um, asked if this agent could share a bit about her buyer Mm -hmm. and that agent who knows the business very well stopped me dead in my tracks and said that I was asking confidential information and this was a fair housing issue and I should not be doing that. So let me answer this. Depending on what they were asking, that could be a true statement. As a general statement, that is not a problem. Right. Now, is this person from this place? Do they worship in this place? You know, those are fair housing things you need to stay away from. Right. If it's, this is my family's home. This is typically the experience. This is my family's home. We've had it for this many years in our family. And I really like to have somebody that treats it like their family. Mm-hmm. My daddy built this house, my whatever it is. A lot of times that's what you're getting from this. Right. You know, I, I, I finished the basement because that's where I raised my kids or whatever it is. That's what they're looking for. People don't have to take the highest price. Don't don't get stuck on there's multiple offers and because this one's more, they're going to take it. That doesn't happen sometimes. That's a hard conversation with the rest of the clients. And But the reality is they can take the cheapest offer because I liked you better. It's their house. They can sell to anybody they want to. This one wanted to move on the 31st. The other one wanted to move on the 30th. I don't want to go to work on the 31st and move. I got stuff to do. I mean, that's totally okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else? You all were really easy on me today. We just need to clone you and take you with us. Yeah. Um, Quick question. If we are attempting to present our offers ourselves, um, do we or should we get permission from the other agents? So the other agent should be included and present. Mm -hmm. You don't want it. It would be unethical to present the offer without the agent involved. So you want to, and Zoom works really well in this situation. And right. and usually my dialogue with that would be like, look, I've got an offer I want you guys to have, but look, I'd like to present it. It's kind of complex. And, it, and complex to me and complex to them might mean two different things, but I'm kind of setting them up for like, oh, it's going to be that kind of an offer. 
right? That's where I'm getting that agent thinking. And they go, okay, you know, because I don't want there to be kind of like a cross of like, you know, whether we, whether it was all done yet. These, my buyers are kind of sensitive to make sure that they at least had their offers presented. And, you know, I know you're, you're a rock star, but maybe it'd be better for both of us. We just kind of did it together. Would that work? And, and most agents, first of all, they have to let you do it. Mm-hmm. You have agents that are um, uneducated that will tell you that's not the case, but they do. Right. Um, if it's too much of a battle, decide whether you want to fight it or not, right? Is it worth you spending the time to fight it or not? Okay, so just to be clear, if we want to present, they have to let us. They can they can worm their way out, but they technically have to. It. The seller derives that. Let me say this to begin with. The seller is the one that can say, screw you, I'm not going to do it. That's their choice. Um, but within the realtor community, ethics provide that they would give you the right to present the contract. Is that the best way to say that, Tim? That's kind of the best way I can put it. The seller can stop you. Mm. The realtor cannot. The realtor can use the seller as an excuse to stop you. Yes. Well, underline the word realtor. Right. Um, yeah, the realtor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and I'm telling you guys, if you haven't tried this, and, and honestly, you get a good working relationship with the other agent. Most of the time, it works really well. Because let's face it, they want to get to the deal, too. You know, and and you might not work it out, but at the end of the day, they're gonna be like, "Hey, that was really great. Thanks for doing that." Next time you go to do it, it gets much easier. You just don't have as much problem. Honestly, the the confident, strong agents, you just don't have any problem with that with, right? It's the ones that are kind of you worried about maybe they might not do something down the right path. Is typically the ones that start putting the roadblocks up. Mm-hmm. You know. So anyway. <laughs> Sheila, anything else am I supposed to talk about? I know I didn't get into negotiating the contract itself. I didn't lost get into internet. closings. Yeah, I don't think she's on anymore. She lost internet. Gotcha. I thought you did a great job, Steve. Thank you. So if, and all the panelists and everybody that helped. If, if yeah. Sheila was still on, what she was going to tell you was that she thinks we should do this once a month. Oh, my gosh. Y'all would drown me. <laughs> no, she... She wasn't going to do that. She just wanted to make sure Steve was available via Zoom whenever you sit down and present your contracts to the seller. I, I love that. Like this, you just have no idea. Like I get giddy about that stuff because it's fun for me. Um, but you know, just don't forget. Don't tell them anything you can't show them. Whether that's on a Zoom or anything else, do not tell them anything you can't show them. Don't tell them anything you can't show them. Get that embraced in your head. Do not tell them anything you can't show them whether it's on a white piece of paper like this and you draw it out and tell them, but don't tell them anything you can't show them. And then also know your, know who you're competing against. Right. So understand their goal. If it's to win, then you let them drive for lack of better terms. You just drive in the back seat and tell them where you want to go. You know, if you got to pull them along, then do it, but know who you're working with on that. Get the personality. Out there. Cool. Steve, anything else? No, I don't think so. All right. Thanks for your time, guys. Thank you. Hopefully it was valuable for you guys. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for jumping on. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye.